Welcome to Mexico Matters, the CSIS podcast about how events occurring in Mexico can impact and more importantly, matter in the United States. I am Mariana Campero, non-resident senior associate of the Americas program at CSIS and the former CEO of the Mexican Council on Foreign Relations, COMEXI. Mexico is at a critical moment. In about 10 months, it will celebrate a presidential election that will determine what kind of country Mexico will become in the future. This election will not be without challenges and will occur amid a global rearrangement of supply chains, which present a unique opportunity. Yet, the nearshoring opportunity could slip away if we do not create the necessary conditions needed to provide investors with certainty. To discuss what is at stake and why the upcoming presidential elections will be so critical, that it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Luis Rubio, former chairman of the Mexican Council on Foreign Relations, COMEXI, and chair of Mexico Evalua. Luis is also a prolific writer, and our conversation today will focus on his most recent book titled On Your Marks. Luis, Welcome to Mexico Matters. It is truly my pleasure to have you on the show today. In your recent book, Luis, you speak about the importance of the 2024 presidential election. But before I go into that, let me first ask you, where are we standing today? What has happened in the last five years of the current administration? Well, the, the Lopez Obrador administration has been disruptive in its rhetoric but not so much in the substance, and that's paradoxical. The president aimed at returning Mexico to, as it were, where things work well, in his words, and thus proceeded to centralize power in his person, not in the office of the president, and that's the, that's important, as if that alone would change the course of history. Like in, in Marx's uh, famous quip, uh, the first time it was tragic, the second it's a mere farce. He does not understand, nor does he care about the world, yet he has not faced the wall. He has been actually quite lucky, both because Mexico's economy has proven to be stronger and more resilient than most people assume, and because the pandemic actually helped him politically. In centralizing power, the president changed the way daily life works, in attacking one institution after another, he proved many of the alleged counterweights that had been built over the past four decades were no more than a, a chimera, that it didn't, didn't work. And he actually showed that the king was naked, as in the famous, famous story. So on the other hand, Mexico has proven to be far more flexible, resilient than the president assumed, and therefore more resistant to his altercations and attempts to change things. The economy has proven to be far more complex than he believed, and thus has been less disruptive in its core structures than many of us thought likely to happen. The case of the exchange rate, the ever-present menace in Mexican politics, is a perfect case in point. It is far less volatile than in the past, and not because of the government, rather due to more reliable factors such as exports, remittances, and the like that have made it structurally stronger than, than, than we thought. 
And finally, the president, uh, who is a true master at managing the narrative to his base, has benefited from a strong recovery in the US economy, something that appeared far-fetched only a few months ago when people were talking about the possibility of a, of a recession. So in balance, Mexico is entering the most volatile and dangerous moment of any presidential succession process. Uh, the jury, therefore, is still out on how this will end. But one thing I'm certain of is that things are going to get much more complicated here to four. Luis, if we're entering one of the most dangerous and volatile moments of any presidential elections, can you paint us a picture as to what are the most likely scenarios going forward? Sure. Uh, the main worry, bar none other, is that the coming elections could become violent. Uh, this could happen both as a result of a of a strategy by the hardliners inside the government, as well as by organized crime. Hardliners want to stay in power at any cost and are organizing for that. And the president is first in that roster. Organized crime is in a business that uses other means, as it were, to advance its interests. Those organizations are not naturally inclined to participate in political life, except to protect their turf and create conditions for their business to, to, to thrive. Back in the 2021 midterms, they built a corridor from the Pacific to the U.S. border by having their people elected to local office through intimidation and, and any kinds of incentives. They helped some people go to votes. They, they barred others from, from attending. And in so doing, they were very strategic and very capable at creating this corridor that will allow them to move drugs from one place to another. That seems to me to be the most likely models of operandi from in the future. My sense is that they would only resort to actual violence in extreme situations. Rather, they will be looking to opportunities and the current government is giving them one after another uh, by not prosecuting or persecuting them. And that has been a boon to organized crime. So my sense is that that's what they're likely to do in the electoral process. The most concerning scenario would be a close result against the president's candidate, which he refuses to acknowledge. A similar scenario would be violence provoked by the government to impact supporters of the opposition. I have no doubt that violence, particularly violent language, will be uh, natural in the coming context. Will, will actual uh, violence follow is anybody's guess, but it's not inconceivable. The race is shaping in ways that the president never expected uh, or anticipated. Given the state of the opposition after the, its failure to deliver in the past couple of decades, the president uh, created an environment in which he it appeared that all that remained was for him to choose the candidate that would replace him. And then all of a sudden, his own obtuseness led to the emergence of a potential challenger in the person of Xochitl Galvez. It's too early to tell how this process will evolve, but Mexicans now have a potentially competitive race ahead, something that didn't look likely only two months ago. Then, not an irrelevant matter, is how Morena itself, the president's party, uh, how it behaves in the next several months. The only factor of cohesion in that party, which is more a movement than, than a party, is the president himself. And it isn't obvious that he will be able to deliver a unified entity 
when it is so fragmented and particularly if he ends up choosing a candidate that's that divides the party or divides the base uh, rather than unites it and so to topple the most a most interesting panorama as the president's hold on power wanes, other factors might well intrude. No presidential succession process in the last several decades has been free of complexity, and this one promises to, to be much more so. In one word, nothing is written in stone in, in Mexico, and Mexican politics might well surprise uh, Mexicans and the world come next June when election day takes place. Boy, these scenarios don't look very pretty. I mean, they're full of violence and organized crime using other means to advance their interests. Luis, what will the country look like for the next president? That is, what will be the economic and political conditions under he or she will have to govern? Well, whoever wins the, the, the election will determine a lot of what happens after. The question you pose, I think, can be split into to three distinct issues. The fiscal situation for the next administration will be dire. The government has raided all the contingency funds that had been built over the past decades, and he has skewed the budget in such a way that the next president will have no fiscal space whatsoever. He or she will find a very difficult financial situation and will inexorably launch a debate on tax reform. Whether such a reform is possible remains to be seen. Uh, the next president is likely to be very weak, at least upon inauguration, and will have to choose whether to attempt to kill Mexican society or to deepen the polarization that, that AMLO has thrived on. That will itself, in itself help or hinder the broader negotiation. Then comes the composition of the Congress. Mexicans have an odd notion of governance. They tend to see governance not as the result of competent government and consensus building on the legislative front, but of control of the legislature as if this were a parliamentary system. With so many issues looming, my sense is that there could be a great opportunity, the second in, in my lifetime after Fox messed up up at the beginning of the century uh, for a grand bargain on checks and balances, the federal arrangement, the relationship between the, the states and the federation and so on. It may be a dream here, but anyone looking at the real circles that Mexico has become knows that something big is necessary to stave off radicalization or instability. Just look at the broad picture, rising criminal organizations, the military in charge of a growing number of activities, they know nothing about, nor do they want to. Corruption everywhere, violence, extortion, the fiscal situation. The point is that the growing conflict with the U.S. is not irrelevant, and on and on. Mexico needs, a, I think, a serious government, but it's not obvious one is looking in, look, looming in the horizon. It all depends on, on, A, the person who ends up being president, and B, whether he or she can really build, a, well, has first the vision to build something different and has the capability of building it. You speak about how will the country look like for the next president? And as you say, you know, they're going to have a lot of challenges fiscally and also 
because of the instability created by drug cartels and violence. And you mentioned the military. As you say, they control big chunks of the economy and are involved in activities, not only in policing, managing the ports, the railways, the airlines, and even banks. How do you foresee whomever is the next president to have a relationship with the military? What will that relationship look like? The military is going to be one of the most difficult issues to tackle. On the other hand, the military have one big advantage, and that is that it is a vertical organization in which power is and decision-making are centralized. So that, in my mind, is going to be the biggest political question to deal with, but it's also one that, if dealt with correctly, and the next administration could address successfully. But it's not going to be a simple one. Luis, in your book, you speak about immigration and drugs, two elements that have become super sensitive in the U.S.-Mexico relationship. In the U.S., we have politicians talking about bombing Mexico or declaring the cartels as terrorist organizations, among other proposals that actually play well within certain groups of the U.S. electorate. In the most likely scenario that Mexico will become an electoral piñata in the upcoming U.S. presidential elections, are you concerned about how this narrative will impact President AMLO? Do you think he will become more radical vis-a-vis the United States because of it? Well, there's no question that the drugs and, and migration have become two of the most sensitive issues in American politics and in both Mexico is is a, if not the protagonist, which is why, uh, as your question implies, that's likely to become a hot issue during the U.S. presidential race. Uh, and yes, there are many Republicans uh, raising hell about these issues and proposing policies that only a few years ago would have been unthinkable. Indeed, one British magazine titled an article about this, quote-unquote, how Mexico became the enemy. I think that the way to look at this is separating into it into three issues. First, the electoral front inside the U.S. A lot will depend on who the American candidates end up being, if it's Biden versus Trump. The issue may not transcend Texas and, and maybe Florida. If it's somebody else, all bets are off. Um, second, in, in the Mexican front, a lot will depend on how each of the candidates is actually doing but especially on how the primary season in the U.S. ends up evolving. Mexico moved its election day to the first Sunday of June, which might well change the dynamics of the whole process, because now the last and critical month of of campaigning will coincide with uh, the end of the primary season in the U.S. If Mexico does indeed become a big electoral issue in the U.S., the Mexican election may uh, actually be impacted. And the third point is that most and the most important is that Lopez Obrador lives in the 1970s. And in that era, the U.S. was the avowed enemy, which is why uh, he has been as distant of the U.S. as possible. He is both scared of the U.S. and is scornful of the U.S. I doubt he'll radicalize against the U.S. because there's nothing to be gained from that. But that does not mean uh, that the election itself could, could not be affected. Unfortunately, none of this is helping to address the real issues that Mexico faces and which involve the U.S. and Canada through USMCA, such as energy, which is a big potato. And the Mexican president has been given a free ride 
on all the abuse he has exacted on firms duly and legally working in Mexico, in that sector and others. So this is going to be complicated until we have a new administration in place. The good news is that whoever replaces President López Obrador will be a person of the 21st century. And that will entail, among others, understanding that the relationship with the U.S. is absolutely critical for Mexico in both diplomatically, but also existentially, also in, in, in economic and developmental terms. Energy. It is certainly a big, hot potato. And probably because of it, we haven't dealt with it, right? Yet, in order to be attractive for manufacturers wanting to move to Mexico, or even for companies to succeed in the digital economy, Mexico will need to provide abundant, reliable, clean, cheap energy. Luis, do you anticipate the next Mexican administration, whomever that is, to take a more pragmatic approach regarding energy? As you say, whomever wins, they will be people of the 21st century. Well, energy is, is not only the most fundamental source of power for companies and for development, it is also in Mexico, a very politically charged element. Lopez Obrador also has considers energy, particularly oil, to be the foundation of economic development because he, as I mentioned before, he lives in the 1970s when, when that was true for the Mexican economy. It's no longer true. I think that whoever comes uh, will need to find a way to address the incoherence of, of, the, of Lopez Obrador's policies vis-a-vis -vis energy. If it's a Morena president, that person will have to find a way to skirt around the complexity of, of that party and uh, of the Lopez Obrador legacy. Uh, but no, no matter who the president is, we'll have to deal with this. Nearshoring, on the other hand, is free mana falling from heaven. Geography plus NAFTA sequel USMCA have created a miraculous opportunity that Mexico may well end up squandering, like uh, when NAFTA came into being and when China joined the WTO. The difference with the past uh, is that Mexico's location and size offer a unique opportunity, which is why so many companies have been establishing facilities in Mexico. The truth is that such investment could be 10 times bigger if the government weren't engaged in making it difficult, as with energy policies. As you say, a sensible government would be committing all efforts and resources to attracting investment and, above all, to creating conditions for investment to thrive. The good news is that this administration is almost over, and that's what it comes down to. The next one of whatever color or gender, I am certain, will have... Uh, no choice and will actually uh, purposefully see this as the opportunity that it is. I just hope it's not too late by then. As you say, Mexico has had other opportunities like these ones in the past. You know, the signing of NAFTA that you mentioned in 94 or even the 2000 democratic bonus. But Mexico, on average, Luis, has grown no more than two or two and a half percent for many years. The northern part of the country, of course, is growing at, you know, rates that are 7 or 9 or 11 percent, depending what state are we talking about. Uh, but the south of the country really is a lag. And that is pushing Mexico well below our potential. What are the main obstacles that are curbing Mexico's growth and our ability to grow at much higher rates? 
well, you, you, you yourself give the answer there. The, the 2.5% growth figure, uh, as you will say, is, is not very useful because it's an average and averages don't tell the story. Uh, the NAFTA-related part of Mexico's economy has been growing above 6% in average, and in some regions have grown at Asian rates, as you just pointed out, and that's for three or four decades, which means that their economies in Aguascalientes, Querétaro, and other states have um, more multiplied their, their size by six or seven times in, in these past three, four decades. The real problem of Mexico is not that NAFTA has not worked, as some ignorant observers often assert, but that the regional inequalities in Mexico are truly profound and nothing has been done to, to actually address them. While states like Aguascalientes or Querétaro, that I just mentioned, grow above 7% in average per year, the Mexican South has barely kept up with where it was three decades ago. The obstacles for this are formidable, but they are mostly political. These are strong bosses that don't want development to come to their states because they prefer absolute control of a very small space than relative control of a much bigger one. Special interests have succeeded in hindering investment from altering the local status quo in many areas of the South. And the federal government has failed to take action and nobody has wanted to take action. My sense was that Lopez Obrador had the, the, the opportunity because he had no commitments and, and had compromised no positions before. He was the one who could actually be great, the great reformer of, of, of Mexico South. That has not happened. But let me give you one, one example uh, that says it all. Until 2023, yes, the, this year, 2023, there was no gas pipeline going to the south of Mexico. So there was no modern economy even possible forget about the uh, uh, likely the first terminal was inaugurated only a couple of months ago so there's a chance that things might begin to change in the future but there will have to be a very strong political action for that to to actually happen i don't think there's a bigger challenge but also a bigger opportunity than addressing this issue uh, lopez obrador as i said was the perfect person to do it but he preferred to run like a king rather than changing mexico for the better the question is whether the next administration will will understand this better and have the political abilities to to do it which are two different things luis in your book you mention after me the deluge which is a phrase attributed to luis 15 which refers to the chaos that will imminently occur once a person leaves office. You compare this way of governing, of governing with how AMLO has governed Mexico, and you speak about the likelihood of a crisis, although it is impossible to predict the exact timing. Can you explain why do you foresee that, and if there's anything we could do to prevent it? Um, that's a great question. My, my read on the current Mexican situation is that the government devoted to concentrating power without delivering any benefits will not end well. Whether, as you say, this will impact the coming election next June remains to be seen, and timing is, has a lot to do with it. As I mentioned before, the economy has proven to be more resilient than most observers thought, and the growth of the American economy critical to Mexico has also done really well after the pandemic. Hence, unless there's a dramatic situation from here to election day, odds are that the traditional end-of-term crisis is unlikely to materialize. Yet, 
not all is well with the economy. The fiscal situation is dire. The government's uh, finances are really weak. And the budget is a mess because it's all skewed towards cash transfers to the president's clientele rather than to growth and development and and, and education and, and health and so on. If one adds the government's commitment to the de facto guarantee Pemex's debt service, um, the picture is less benign than it might appear. So the big question is really when it hits the fan, before or after the election. And even then, the impact could well be different from the past because the soundness of the exchange rate is much less dependent on the government than it was in the past. The really critical area, and this is this is counter to the traditional grain of Mexico, is political. While the president has been unable to affect the economy too much, his impact on the political arena has been extreme, creating enormous sources of conflict and potential disruption. And to add to that, he has undermined or eliminated many of the institutions and procedures that in the past helped stave off or fix critical situations. The political system has been changing over the past several years, but mostly weakening. And that's that's the new thing that one has to consider. In the past, it was possible for the government to react and respond when things happen. Today, that's not obvious. Thus, the next administration will have to a full plate, a fairly well-working economy, most likely, but with severe constraints that will need to be addressed on thorny issues such as taxes in the context of a very polarized society. A sensible approach would be to lead a grand bargain, but that's not an easy thing to to accomplish and and not the natural inclination of most politicians. But also the big a, a bigger question is whether the political process will hold tight. I don't believe that that will will happen. It will require enormous skills not to derail everything. It certainly sounds like we're in a very, very delicate situation. What is your greatest nightmare? Sort of what could destabilize the current equilibrium? The next uh, 10 months from now to election day will be the most complex and decisive of the past several decades. Uh, Mexicans will have to decide whether they want to move forward or go backward. To be fair, this has been sort of a permanent, a bit underlying dilemma for Mexico for decades. But this time, the real question is whether voters will ratify AMLO's quest for concentrated power or call for a change in course. Part of the issue is that there's nothing to go back to. And that's something that not all politicians understand. But that's exactly what many people seem to want. And and there's a contradiction there. The voters decisively rejected what existed prior to 2018 with, by giving to 53% of the vote to López Obrador. So the only way forward in my mind is looking at the future, not at the past. The good news is that the economy is doing well, although the challenges ahead, particularly regarding the south of the country, are not small. The thrust is, is truly powerful and could hopefully, hopefully should become an opportunity. The politics are likely to be much more complicated, but even there, all the potential candidates are individuals of the 21st century, as I mentioned, not of the 20th as the president. That in itself would be a big change. Of course, some look better than others, and some of those that might be great statesmen or state women are not running. But the point is that Mexico's problems are not unmanageable. 
The true challenge is whether Mexico will start facing up to its problems rather than than merely politicking about them. Mexico has been left astray for far too long. Rather than being governed, it has been left adrift. And, and that, I think, is the real challenge. I'm, I'm optimistic on the structural issues. The big question is whether the issues of governance, with all that that may imply in terms of law, uh, rule of law, security, uh, infrastructure, and the like, will be addressed. That's, I think, where the challenge lies. The great news is that there has hardly been a better moment for this to be addressed. Uh, the question is always there in Mexican politics, will somebody actually take charge? And that's not obvious. Luis, unfortunately, we have come to the end of this episode. But I just want to close by emphasizing something you just said. Mexico's problems are certainly not unmanageable. And the moment is now. The question is whether or not the next president will have what it takes to take these challenges head on, address the many vested interests that are dragging the country down, or he or she will just take the same old approach, put some patches here and there, and keep moving the country sideways. The jury is out. Luis, Again, thank you very much for being with us. My name is Mariana Campero. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog.